dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. People of faith in leadership positions find themselves in a quandary. How do I live my faith when my job is vowed to be in a secular situation? After living that way for many years, sometimes we can feel as if faith actually does not have a place in the workplace after all. The roots of Catholic leadership go very deep. St. Thomas Aquinas, in his Summa Theologica, lays a surprisingly relevant foundation for Catholic principles. I can't wait to unpack them with you in this series of six talks delivered for the St. John Leadership Network. So if you're here, it's because you have a question, right? You want to understand better how I'm supposed to lead as a follower of Christ when I actually work in a secular environment. And first of all, I want to welcome you all for that challenge. And thank you for asking the question, right? That's why we're here. We started the St. John Leadership Network to answer those types of questions and to, to give you a perspective. I'm going to be right up front with you with the answer. The answer is it makes a world of difference. Right now, I can already hear the, the, the machinery in your minds clicking, saying, wait a second, how could it make a difference? Because work is work is work is work. And you're, it doesn't make a difference what religion you belong to. If you've got to get work done, you've got to get work done. And I'd just like to say, well, does it make a difference what religion you belong to if you parent? Does it mean, I mean, like, right? It's the same idea. Parenting is parenting. You have to, you know, uh, wash the dishes and you have to uh, make entertainment for the kids and you've got to, right? Like, it, it's a secular parenting situation, the same as a religious parenting situation. Well, it's the same situation, but you're going to have radically different results depending on whether or not your parenting is based in faith. Well, I'm going to say you're going to have radically different results depending on whether or not your leadership of your organization, of your team is based in faith or not. Now, I mean, you might not be allowed to be as explicit in your family. You have total rights and freedom to do what you need to do in order to pass on the culture that you choose to pass on. At least for now you do. Yeah, we don't know what's going to happen down the road. It's traditionally in societies, it's one of the very first things that gets repressed is the parents' right of education over their children. But the Catholic Church has consistently upheld that that is a foundational right. Right? So in any case, what that means is that you as parents get to pass on the culture that comes from your heart to your children. And the state is supposed to support that right, which means that if you want to bring your kids to church or you want to decorate your homes with crucifixes, and if you want to teach them about the truths of the Bible, you're free to do so. And that's actually what you're supposed to do if you're a Christian parent. And it's a different thing in the workplace. In the workplace, we've made this type of culture around us a lot of times, especially in bigger corporations or companies, which makes an effort to include everyone in their diversity at the expense of anyone projecting an image that's beyond what is commonly acceptable. Right? So if you have a Christian faith in a situation like that, it can be a great challenge because on the one hand, Christ is pushing you to be his disciple and his witness. 
and you want to bring his culture into the workplace. And on the other hand, there's a real strong rule and a pressure to not do that. And if you're in a leadership position, you need to uphold that type of diplomacy and neutrality with respect to uh, positions because it's what guarantees that everyone be able to collaborate and get the job done. You're right then. There is a difference in terms of how explicit the culture can be identified with that of Christ. But the mind of a Christian leader will make decisions and prioritize values, maybe without directly referencing Jesus Christ, but that in a way that comes from his gospel and from the faith that they have within. Faith is never, in other words, a purely private enterprise. It comes out of our pores. It's in the way that we hold ourselves, the way that we dress, the way that we run our meetings, the way that we interact with people, the way that we lift up our employees, the way that we motivate our teammates, the way that we celebrate, and the decisions strategically we make about where our priorities lie. It's going to be through everything that we do, people ought to be able to figure out that there's something different about us and they should know that that difference is going to be coming from our religion one way or the other. But that leaves us sometimes feeling guilty because we, we think, well, I'm supposed to be evangelizing and I'm supposed to be representing Jesus Christ. I want to first of all make this point loud and clear. You are representing Jesus Christ by the way in which you work. I agree that you would, it's not the most perfect form of evangelization that there is, but that's also not the first thing that you're doing when you're there at that workplace. You're leading your people because you have got a job to do. We all understand that. The way that you do it, though, will be marked by the grace of Christ if you let it. And the way that you live out your workplace leadership will betray the hidden cause to your identity, which is Christ. And when the questions come, that's when the moment comes for you to be unabashed about why you are the way you are and the making the decisions that you're making and leading the team in the way that you're leading your team. But you know, there's even more to it than that. It's not just a question of how we lead the team. That's our first point, and it's a very important one. But there's something even more profound. A Christian worldview will give the world its most authentic and deep appreciation for true humanity and a culture that deviates from God's plan and from what God has revealed to us will hurt the humanity of the people who are in it. And this means just point blank, guys, we cannot be ashamed of our Christian faith. It might not be able to be shared explicitly. That might not even be appropriate in all times and measures. That's really not the problem. But for you inside to realize that who you are as a Christian is God's gift to this world, that's very important. And so what I'd like to do in this next series of, of talks with you here is actually examine what the Christian advantage actually is. Why is it so wonderful to be a Christian? And why should we be proud to be a Christian in our workplace as leaders? And what's the difference that Jesus makes even if it's invisibly in our mindsets. And I'm going to do this in a, in a unique way, okay? Because instead of just giving you the answer, I'd like to look with you at a common source, St. Thomas Aquinas. He was a Dominican friar uh, living in the 13th century who was absolutely brilliant. His thought 
is one of the most foundational elements to our entire civilization in the West. He's arguably one of the greatest minds to ever live. And just because he wrote in Latin, <laughs> no one reads him. <laughs> but that means like, a lot of people read him. But in the end, like we need to translate what he puts in here into where you're living. And when you do, you'll find a guide who's absolutely superb. A, a, a way of thinking that has an edge to it and an edge that we desperately need today. I don't want to see any one of you falling away from your faith because in the end, your workplace is just more demanding and a little bit more thrilling than what you get at church. And for a lot of people, that's the case. And I know because I'm out there preaching, I get to watch the heads of my audience and people with their heads down, looking very bored, you know, on, and, and you realize that you, you live a pace and a demanding lifestyle that gives a reward to it when you're at work. And you don't always see that in your spirituality. And you don't really see where the two intersect. And so the temptation will be to follow the lights, to go where the excitement is. And that means little by little to just become a practical atheist. I might theoretically believe in God, but it makes no difference in my life. And I want to actually show you that your faith in God not only has the biggest practical impact that anything can have on your life, but that it's a gift and it's a gift that we need to give through your leadership to this world. Does your family matter? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a family mission infographic that will help you focus on your family. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So what's so important about having faith Anyway, right? What, what is the advantage that being a faithful leader will give me in my leadership over my company, over my family, you know, period. It seems like you could just be kind of have common sense, be a good person, you know, be nice to people. And you're going to end up having the same set of values as everyone else. Well, first of all, that's no guarantee. And the reason for that is that values shift. Values are a result. The values in a culture are the result of the values in the heart of the people who make up that culture. And if the values of the heart change, which they do, you know, every generation, it seems, then the values in the culture are going to change as well, which means that sooner or later, you're going to find yourself in an opposition point between two good people, people who pay their taxes, people who live next to each other, people who walk their dogs in the park, you know, and yet ends up having very different viewpoints on what you should and should be teaching your children in school, for example, or what should or should not be acceptable on television or whether censorship is even acceptable at all. The fact is the cultural values that surround us are changing and changing rapidly. And they always have been depending upon what the personal affirmation and the personal belief of the people who are in that culture is right. So now here suddenly where it becomes important. When God speaks to us in Jesus Christ, we who are believers, we believe that that is God's law for the entire universe. And not only his law, but his guidelines. This is, in other words, the creator of the universe telling us who live in the universe how we need to live in order to be happy. If you want to drive a car, you find out who invented the car and you have them teach you how to drive a car. 
If you don't, you might end up not even knowing that a car is supposed to roll down the road. You might use it instead as a storage container in your garage, for example. You know, let's say something silly like that, but it's the same way for the human heart. When God speaks to us, he speaks with an absolutely sovereign authority because we believe he's the one who made us, right? So now when God gives us instructions, in other words, it becomes, this is the pattern by which we will attain happiness. This is the law that will bring everyone to full flourishing and to ultimate joy. And therefore, I can't sit back and simply say that it's an, I'm neutral on the question of what God tells us is important in this world. To say that is to either deny that there is a God or to deny that you actually believe him. One of the two has got to be the case. If there is a God and if you believe him, then what he says is of wonderful blessing to everybody who, who belongs to this world. And we need to help people to understand what is so great about it. This is what we mean by evangelization. It's not just a question of getting people to become Catholic or be getting them to be baptized. It's also a question of helping people to live in the fullness of what they can be. That is to say that the precious input of our faith gives us a perspective that's almost the roadway to happiness and not just in a theoretical way, in the real practicality of what it means to succeed in your life and how to live life to the full and in the best way. Christianity, in other words, protects and advances the most authentic of all humanisms. Simply put, it means that the way of Christ and the, in the law of God is also the way by which we become the best and live the happiest possible. So what's the point for this for leadership? It means that your role in evangelization is to make sure that the values that, that are in your corporation, the way that you work, the way you organize your strategies, the way that you interact with other people are in alignment with the truth that is given to us by God about who we are and what work is supposed to be. And when you consider that your people are directly responsible for hundreds of people underneath them and the families that they, that they interact with and that they spend between eight and 12 hours a day, five days a week minimal, sometimes six, they're with you in that working environment. Well, then you realize some of the immense power that work and business has in, in our culture to form and to shape the people and the mindsets of the people who will then go home and be with their family. I like to say often that being at work is actually practice for being at home. And that the real test of who you are and the real place to grow in character is there with your family. But you get to practice and be honed in your skills and into your approach and in your mindset that you take into your family by how you live at work. Work represents uh, the way we're in a little microcosm. All of our society is reconciled and the greatness of the human heart can either be given there and encouraged there by lives of excellence and virtue, or it can be taken away there and we can leave work degraded. And, and the working process is no longer one that elevates our life. It's actually one that takes life away from us. We become worse 
because we're bullied, because we have negativity, because we learn to gossip, because we're, our work isn't appreciated, because we think we're, we learn to treat our bosses as if they were miserable or the people underneath us as if they were miserable and everything becomes cutthroat and competitive. My goodness, if you put a person in a bath of water that's full of dye, their skin is going to come out dyed by the water. And the same way, when you spend eight to 12 hours a day working in an environment that's anti-human, anti-family, anti-good, right? That's just full of negativity, judgmentalism, uh, all kinds of, uh, of diseases of the mind. Well, you're going to come home and have that inside of you when you then interface with your children and with your spouse. And after a while, you become the environment, it kind of seeps in through your pores. And that's why it's so important that for you who are in charge of that environment to in one degree or another, you need to fight for your people by fighting for the uprightness and the authentic humanity of the culture that they're in. And this could be if you're a teacher, for example, having that culture in your classroom, being one that elevates every single student to be authentically their very best, right? And if you're a waitress, you same thing, the way that you give that experience, if you were to put yourself in that experience for the people having their, their dinner, you could actually help shape in a very small way, admittedly, but still with strength and substance, the experience of your people and you could help make a better world. I think the real thing is that we, we Christians aren't laying hold of the opportunities that God has given us in order to create places where tr the truth of the human person is defended and promoted so that everyone who comes through them actually is elevated and leaves deeper, more intelligent, more loving, more virtuous than when they came in. This is our role and it's of critical importance. If we lose the places of work and the workplace culture, we will also lose the family. And if we lose the family, we've lost everything. We know this, we feel it inside, and we say, how, what can we do to defend and protect the family? I'm gonna say it this way, defend and protect work, and you will defend and protect the family. Because every family is made up of moms and dads who are working, and how they feel about themselves and who they become in their workplace has a direct impact upon how they are and who they are at home. Would you like your business to become a virtuous workplace? Would you like Father Nathan to come to an event in your town? Visit www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash r-events and join for free today. Okay, so we're talking about the importance of Christian faith in secular working environments. And we're looking for a, a, a real practical solution here. What am I supposed to do, right? How can I, as a Christian, effectively win that culture for Christ and effectively lead, even if I'm not able to pronounce his holy name or, you know, in an explicit fashion, really come off as a Christian person explicitly? Well, this is where St. Thomas Aquinas comes in. And I'm going to be quoting here and reading for you, commenting on the, uh, his treatise on divine government. Okay, that's what that's called. And it comes from his book called the Summa Theologica. 
And if you look at question 103, article one, Aquinas begins a series of, of articles where he, he tries to explain how God governs the universe. And the principle is this, as God governs, so we must lead. Our leadership is actually a participation in divine government. So as God governs and rules over this world, we who are given a little corner of this world with our freedom in order to impact it in his name, well, we need to pattern how we lead upon how God rules. Well, first of all, let me just pause for a moment and say, isn't that amazing? What an amazing perspective. You hear a lot of books trying to define leadership. You know, how about this? We Christians look at it and we say, we define leadership after the pattern of Almighty God. <laughs> so obviously, we're not God. You know, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that there is like actually a rule. There's a, a, a measure and a guideline for us to follow in our leadership. We're also just not blind in saying leadership means influencing other people and we're going to take them in a bad way. Well, no, because God never takes us in a bad way which means a leadership that is leading people in a bad way is actually a kind of anti-leadership. It's the antithesis of true leadership, the corruption of leadership. But that leadership itself, in, in its roots, actually has to be for the good because it is, in a way, us participating in God's ruling over his world. As God rules the world, so I rule my workplace which means I have to behave like God does. <laughs> now, that's a, that's a tall order, but I just want to pause for a moment and just admire that with you. Isn't it? I mean, it's a really amazing perspective. Do you look at yourselves as being people who have been given the opportunity to let God's order, God's wisdom, God's light shine in our world through your leadership? That's why we're doing what we're doing. I mean, why we started the St. John Leadership Network, it was because we who are, you know, Christians really want to shore up what you're doing. And the very first way that we're going to shore up what you're doing is by reminding you that what you're doing is absolutely amazing. You are leading as a way of making God's governance of the world effective for the people who are under your care. And so what does it mean to govern? Well, he defines it this way. He says, Govern is, governing is taking natural things and leading them to a good end. In other words, to make sure that what has been given to you flourishes according to its inner nature. So when you think about this in a workplace, it's really simple. Are my workers made better people by their work? Now, obviously, we can't do everything. It's a limited environment. We're not here as their dads or as their moms. It's, it's not the question. But it's to say, I have to guarantee at a minimum that the way people, if they engage in this process, they will leave better, right? More intelligent, more disciplined, more human, more able to be parents and leaders of their family with virtue and excellence. And so that's my very, the minimum. And that's guaranteed because that's what God does to the world. Everything that we do to lay out a project well, to, you know, establish good order in our communications, to incentivize labor, 
to thank people adequately, to being polite and, and professional in our emails, all those things actually have a purpose. And the purpose is to make sure that we operate at a higher level at the workplace than we do when we're just relaxed, when we actually are engaging a deeper part of who we are, our minds, our wills, our virtues, and, and, and to drive that towards a good end where we make a high quality product that's the best we can make and that we're proud of. We can kind of see how the Catholic Church's six principles for business leadership flow directly from this kind of reasoning. And of course, if we're going to be talking about the flourishing of our people, we're assuming that there is an objective nature. There's actually a truth about the human person independently of how we understand it or what we want us to be. This is well, one of the hallmarks of a Christian vision of the world is that we say our vision is objectively true. It's not just an opinion, one amongst the many, about who we are. We actually have an understanding of what a human being is supposed to be. And our job is to bring people into that fullness that we, we've been given by an understanding by God and just by a use of natural reason that everyone can share. Uh, the, the idea that there is no truth about, the, about humanity and that every culture can reinvent its laws and its vision for what human life is all about actually is detrimental to the flourishing of the people involved because there's no guarantee for what makes for happiness. There's no absolute measure that we can shoot for. And when that's the case, we end up falling into the arbitrary judgments of whoever it is that's in power. And that, my friends, is just not right. We cannot sell out our young people by telling them that, that there is no meaning to life or by telling them that, that there is no ethical measure that allows us to defend human freedom and human dignity, that the culture and the agents of politics and the media dictate to the truth to them. I mean, if it's not the faith that's telling them the, about their beauty, who will be? I mean, we just take it for granted. This is not how it works. Culture is dominated by those who choose to lead it. And when we lead it in the name of Christ, we lead in the perspective that says every leader and every ruler in the world is there to serve the flourishing of who they lead. And that flourishing is in accordance with who they are. What a vision, what a powerful thing to be able to defend the full happiness of the people who work for us because we understand the truth about the human person and the truth about work. It's a vision we can't keep silent. We've got to bring out. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.